0: This morning we have a special treat, and this is something I don't often get to do, is announce bishop. Now, I have missed hearing bishop, and I'm not saying this because I don't like pastor. I love pastor's preaching, I love his teaching. I also love bishop's preaching. How many have missed the spoken word by Bishop Deaton? Let's welcome him to the to the podium.
1: Thank you. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Let's give our applause to the Lord. Good, we. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Um, <clears throat> I have not been doing much preaching lately. Um, matter of fact, I haven't been doing any. Uh, so I'm a little rusty. <laughs> um, I just, uh, I am so rusty, I forgot to send the scriptures and picture to Brother Tyler. Tyler, did you, did you just get a text for me, uh, a picture? You got it? Okay. The scripture I don't think you got, if you get a chance to put this on the board. Joshua 4, 20 through 24. Anyway, uh, I don't want to say happy holidays, so Merry After Christmas Day to you. And a happy new year that's coming. Uh, I trust that all of you have had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas time. Uh, I know that um, we did at uh, the Deaton House. I believe there was uh, 17 of us there, and uh, we, we had a good time, or 16 of us there. One of us was too sick to show up. <laughs> all right. Um, so what do you preach in the middle of the holiday season. (laughs) Well, I uh, may stray a little from the Christmas story, uh, but I do want to relate something about Christmas that happened for us. But first of all, I want to, uh, can you put that uh, slide up that I sent you? Um, We're live. Uh, if I had a title for what I want to say today, I would, uh, I would call this uh, Born in the Promised Land. Born in the Promised Land. Um, children of Israel were in bondage, and they were promised a land that flows with milk and honey. And so their goal was to get into uh the promised land and so as you know the biblical stories there is a lot of events that took place how God delivered them and the great miracles that God performed for them and and how Pharaoh sought after them and how God created a pillar of fire to lead them at night Uh, And how in the daytime God created a heavy cloud so that the enemy could not see them. And how they escaped and how God gave them food and water and on and on and on. All the great things that God did for them to get them to go across Jordan and go into the promised land. So in Joshua 4 and 20... Uh, It speaks about those 12 stones, and what it's talking about is God told Joshua that the priests were going to stand in the middle of the Jordan River. And when they crossed over the Jordan River, that there was to be a man out of each tribe was to pick up a huge stone out of the river Now, it doesn't say huge, but if a man picked up one of these and put it on his shoulders, he was quite a man. (laughs) So, oh, they disappeared. Anyway, uh, so they picked up the stones, 12 of them, and they were to take them where they were going to abide that night and build a little stack of stones, such as maybe what you see here, maybe not quite that big, uh, unless they put them on carts. Uh, And... uh, And that's what it's talking about here when it says the 12 stones. They also were to take 12 other stones and put them in the middle of the Jordan River right where the priest stood. Because as long as the priest stood there, the Jordan River dried up and they walked across on dry land. Coming to the story in the middle of it. And those 12 stones, which they took out of Jordan, did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? What are these stones all about? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land, and the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from from before you, until you would pass over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Now there there are two things I want to point out in this. It's a beautiful story, but it says this is a significant uh, image, a significant. Uh, of stone because when your children have questions about it, it's a doorway for you to witness to your children, to remind them what God has done for Israel. So God placed this as a reminder. And then he went on to say, not only for your children, but all the people of the earth might know that the Lord uh, know the hand of the Lord. So in saying that, I want you to realize that it was important to God that his people and their children knew what he had done. Yes. Yes, they yes. He wanted them to know what he had done. They, he wanted them to be acquainted with him. And this brings me to the Christmas part of my sermon today. My little grandson, (laughs) Dalton, I think he's six years old, he made up a game, and he wanted the whole family to play it. And we played the game, and it was the most fun we've had in I don't know how long. It was more fun than anything else we did, including open presents. He made this game up, and he said the name of the game was, Who Knows Dalton Best? (laughs) And so he had eight questions, and everybody had a paper and a a pencil and a piece of paper, and we had to write down an answer. For example, what is my best, uh, what do you call it, video game or whatever? What, what is my favorite video game? And you had to know the answer. What's my favorite color? What's my favorite pet? What's this? What's this? What? Eight questions. And every time a question come up, all of us thought we knew Dalton the best. but We all came up with a lot of different answers. And we were so excited about it, a lot of us were just speaking our answers out loud. And so <clears throat> when it came down to the end, uh, we had a visitor, Lindsay, I mean Lindsay, Kinsey, from Florida, who is a good friend of Drieva's, and of course, she was a good friend of her mother's. she came come to have Christmas with us and visit with us. And so she got into the game because she only knew Dalton probably for, you know, seen him a couple of times and knew him for a few minutes. Well, guess who won the game? <laughs> oh, you're pretty smart. <laughs> she won the game. She only had one wrong. I was trying to feed her the answers, and Maverick was trying to feed her answers on the other side, and she wrote down the ones that she liked that we said and the ones that she didn't, she wrote down, and she ended up with the best score. She had seven out of eight, right? So who knows? Dalton Best. It was a fun game. We laughed, and, and he just had a... It was, it was one of the greatest uh, games we've ever played at Christmas time. And, uh, of course, I had to think of some sermon I could preach that I could incorporate that story in. Uh, I never even thought about it at the time, but as I was doing the story, it came to me that the pile of Stones was put there that they might know what God had done that the children and generations to come, and it goes on to say, and all the people of the earth would ask, what's that big pile of stones for? So that they could tell them and witness to them and make them acquainted with what God has done. To know him. To know him. Mm. It's so vitally important that we know who he is and what he likes, and what he doesn't like. As we go on in this story, the Scripture says, in uh, Judges 2, 8 through 11, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died. And being a hundred and ten years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnathurus, in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of Gash. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. What it's saying here is the older generation was dying off. Have you taken notice to how many of the older people have left us? Well, I'm glad I'm not in that number. (laughs) That's the old people. They've left us. There is a vacuum. There is an emptiness. There is something missing because they're not present any longer. It said that Joshua died, and all that generation were gathered under their fathers, which means they went on to be with their family in heaven. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. nor the works which he had done for Israel. So it tells me that, and it goes on to say, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Balaam. It tells me that those mothers and fathers that had passed away had failed to do something God had told them to do. And that was to tell them the story of the palace stones. What are those stones for? Do you know Pentecost has got a lot of strange things about us. Strange things about us. And I, I'm not ashamed of those things. Um, some people think we dress funny. Some people have come to our church services and actually got scared and ran out the door. Because, you know, in a Pentecostal church, you might have somebody that just might all of a sudden take a Holy Ghost fit and start screaming. And why is that? What are they doing? I've heard little children say that. Mommy, 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 what's Sister So-and-so doing? I'm not going to name any names. What is she doing up there? And she's, oh, she's getting a blessing." Oh, that's the way you act when the Spirit of the Lord gets a hold of you, huh? Or you could act that way anyway. And, you know, and then there's other times when we'll have a Holy Ghost service and the Spirit of the Lord is so strong, it's, you feel so great, you'll just maybe shout and jump up and down. And people in this world think, what is that weird stone? Palest- I mean, what is that weird shouting all about? What's that all about? But in their minds... They're learning about how we worship God. And why is so-and-so always so happy? Well, didn't you know that they had cancer and God healed them of cancer? They've got a right to raise their hands and jump up and down. They've got a right to praise God. They've got a right to cry when they come to the house of God and thank him for all he's done. They have a right to be happy in the presence of the Lord. Reminding them over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why do we praise the Lord? Why do we pray so loud? Can't God hear good? (laughs) The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Lift up your voices. Cry unto the Lord. All these little um, uh, millstones, all these little um, uh, memorials, these piles of stones, these markers, these landmarks, they stand for something. And woe be unto the generation that does not pass that down to their children. Because the scripture says, when Joshua died and the generation died, then there arose a generation that knew not God. So if we had a test today, who knows God's best? Who knows God best? Yeah, it would be quite a test, wouldn't it? And we had ten questions, eight questions about what does God like best, this or this, this or this. I was sitting at one of my favorite restaurants outside in Florida just a week ago, maybe ten days ago, a little longer, whatever. And I got to talking to the waitress because, you know, I ride this big motorcycle, and it's exceptionally beautiful in my eyes. And people will stop me and ask me about it, if I can take a picture of it, if they can sit on it, and I always let them. And uh, it opens up a door sometimes, but this waitress noticed the motorcycle, and we got to talking. And in the midst of talking, I noticed that she had this big mark on her neck. Well, I'm not so old that I don't know what a hickey is. And somebody been sucking on her neck? And I said, well, I see he left his, his mark on your, on your neck. And she looked a little bit funny at me. And, and uh, I said, oh, did I bring up a sore subject? And she had this strange look in her face. I says, well, he's not here. Is he? And I looked again, and I said, oh, it's not a he. And she says, right. Oh, Lord, what have I stepped in? And so we begin to talk. And so you're judging me now, huh? You're, you're my judge. You're judging me, right? I said, no, 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 no. I'm not judging you. I did do anything you want. You don't owe me nothing. I said, but I don't like it. That's not my style. We began, been on talking. She said, you don't like to see two girls together? I said, no, I can't stand see. As a matter of fact, it makes me want to puke. Her mouth kind of flew open like, Can't believe. Why would you say that for? You're judging me. I said, No, I don't. I'm not judging you. I said, But you know, I've tried to live my life according to what the Bible says. I said, That's at least what I try to do, and I know what the Bible thinks about that. And because of that reason, I don't like. Well, what does the Bible say about it? And so I (coughs) quoted some scripture, showed her a story, and explained to her where the word sodomy comes from. The city of Sodom. And so I I began to witness to her, and it gave me something, but I thought about this. Girl, if you ever entered a test to say who knows most about God, you wouldn't even get an F. You wouldn't even score a point. You don't have a clue the nature of God. And what God wants and what God loves and what God doesn't love. And you know what? I'm afraid that we are raising a generation as the older generation passes on. that don't even have a clue what that pile of stones is all about. Yeah, it's too quiet here this morning. I either, either I'm plowing corn or I'm somewhere in left field and you want me to hurry up and shut up. A generation... That does not know God. You know, it's hard for me to even comprehend that someone wouldn't know that God wouldn't like that. But there's a lot of other things between that and all the sins that we can commit that are no longer sin today. I used to say kind of true but not true or trying to be funny. I don't know what I was doing. But I would say, you know, I'm in the Cleveland area and I'm trying to build a church. And my, my problem is I can't find any sinners. Because everybody's a Christian, every, everybody believes in God, and there's no such thing as sin. And besides that, if you preach against sin now, you're not very popular. And people have a tendency to run when they don't hear, hear what they want to hear when they go to church. They certainly don't want to hear that their sins could possibly keep them out of heaven. But one thing concerns me, and I've said this through the years, What one generation will tolerate, the next generation will accept, and the third generation will make it a rule. So we're going in that direction. So it's not so much as where we're at today and what we allow and what we accept, but what direction are we going, and what will the next generation of Christians be? And there arose a generation that knew not God. Are we passing it on to our children how to pray and get a hold of God? You know, words like I grew up with, like, I have a burden on my heart for somebody, I have to go pray. Do you hear that today out of this generation? I have a burden for someone? Yeah, you have a burden. What does that mean? You have a burden for You know, God can place somebody upon your heart that's going through something, and you don't even know what it is. All you need to do is go obey God and pray and ask God to help them through that. It's called a spiritual warfare. We're not fighting against one another. We're not competing about who can get the best or look the best or own the most or the newest car or the biggest house. We're not competing with all that. We're in a spiritual warfare and we need men and women to step up to the plate and say, God, use me. I'll be a prayer warrior. I'll be a one to carry a burden. I'll be a one to do whatever needs to be done for the kingdom of God. Why? Because we do not want it to be said That there arose a generation that knew not God because of our negligence, our carnality, our playing footsie with the world while having one foot in church. I'm gonna have to shift gears here. I'm gonna start preaching if I don't. There's been a great price paid for this country. The liberties that we have today in this country, a great price was paid for it. I love this country. I really do. I love this country. And there was a great price paid for it. And it grieves me to watch how this generation is methodically destroying the memory of our forefathers who fought for this country and made it the great country that it is. It grieves me. Now, you can't change history. You can't change history. You can't change it. Now, you can forget it, and you can ignore it. And this generation is trying to ignore our history, change our history, and make us be ashamed of our forefathers and what they did. And I'm not ashamed of them. I'm not going to say everything they did was perfect. I'm not going to say every decision they made was perfect. But I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be a part of a country that says, in God we trust. I'm proud of that. And it shames me to sit by and watch how they try to dismantle the memory and the history of what has made some of the things that have made this a great country. Because their hope is that there will arise a generation of Americans that don't know history. That don't know the price that was paid. And it only takes one generation and if it's not passed down, it's forgotten. It's ignored, but it's not changed. If you brush the dust off the history books and look deep, you will find the price <coughs> that men and women paid to give us the freedom and the liberties that we have today. Well, that thing, same thing applies spiritually. There's a great price paid. For this great plan of salvation that we have. We can start off with Jesus Christ who was crucified on a cross. Like a common thief. Criminal. Or you can go down through the apostles as many of them were. Martyrs. For this gospel of Jesus Christ. Including those that were stoned. And burned. And crucified upside down. A great price was paid. You don't even have to go that far back. You can go back to the early 1900s where men and women made great sacrifices to evangelize and stand for God and suffered great ri- ridicule. I remember preaching in uh, Kentucky, Alabama. I mean, Kentucky, Kentucky, London, Kentucky. I'm sorry. London, Kentucky. And they told me, ab- I met old Sister Day. She was a black lady and her husband was a preacher and i heard the stories how when he would go to church they walked to church cuz they didn't have automobiles then anyway and he would walk to church and people would wait men would wait down under the bridge and come out and throw rocks at him and call him holy roller and 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 call him all kinds of names but you know what i got a lot of respect today for old brother uh, old brother day that that walked and 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 suffered those stones and that ridicule and that persecution I got a lot of respect for him because he never quit. I said he never quit. Right. However, the statistics show today and this was in early 2000s in America that there are 14 to 1500 pastors that leave the ministry every month in America. Let me say that again, 14 to 1,500 every month that leave the ministry because different reasons. It's too hard. It's not what they thought it would be. They don't make enough money. (laughs) Those panty waists are going to be standing right next to Brother Day on the day of judgment huh? Oh, you had it too hard, did you? Oh, you didn't make enough money. Have you ever looked at the soles of my shoes, sir? Even if he had any on? Men paid a great price for us to have this. I refuse to let it be trampled into the streets in this generation. We need men and women, boys and girls that will stand up and fill up the gap and make up the hedge to stand in this day for some some values and for some things that have been established through the years like a pile of stones. This shows what God has done. And we know that he still will do it. Fourteen to 1,500 ministers leave the ministry every month. There are several studies on it, and the numbers vary. But somewhere between five and 7,000 churches close their doors every year in America. And then some statistics were, were drawn up as to what was the percentage of churches that actually were growing uh, in, in the United States. 2.2% of those are growing. And out of that percentage, I think there was less than point something of those that actually had new converts so they grew from moving and what have you but not actual new converts why, why does that why does that concern you so much bishop well I'll tell you why that concerns me so much the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word when you don't have a preacher you're not building faith. You've got to have a preacher. And you can't have a church with just a preacher. You've got to have people. I know that better than anybody. But I am here to tell you that it is a critical thing. Like, you know, now they're having a shortage of, of uh, firemen, a shortage of policemen, a shortage of craftsmen, a shortage of this, a shortage of that. And now we've got a, huger, a more huge problem, and that is we have a shortage Of pastors. Oh, we don't see it because we still have a pastor, but, you know, I'm talking about around our our country, our whole United States of America. There's such a shortage and such a great need uh, for them to be there. But the scripture says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, coveters, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Yeah. You need to kick that girlfriend out, sister. That's not natural. And I says, if that's judging you, that's coming straight from the word of God. Blame it on him. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasures more than the lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You know, a few years ago, back when I was still pastor, quite a few years ago, even before that, I preached well, two, three sermons a week then. We had church maybe a little more often, but I preached a lot on that subject without natural affection. I preached a lot about homosexuality, and I preached about it so much that I had several people come and complain that they would like to hear something different. And that didn't offend me, because I really wanted to preach something different. And my matter of fact, it was uh, one, uh, Darla's uh, husband, Tim, had made a statement. And he says, how come your dad preaches against homos every time I come to church? <laughs> you got to know Tim. Tim's a jewel. And uh, I never deliberately, and I wasn't obsessed with it, it's just I really felt God was leading me to preach that. And, and I'm not going to name any names. But lo and behold, it came to surface some years later that there were at least, three young people in the church that were struggling with that spirit. And friend, I'm here to tell you that's a choice. You're not born like that. You say, well, there's not what the doctors say. Well, you know, we got doctors today that say vaccinations are good for you. We got doctors, they say that vaccination will kill you. Doctors might say anything, but God's word is right. So what I'm saying is, it behooves us in this generation to fill up the gap, make a stand. You might not be the most popular church in town. You may not be the most popular Christian on the job, but take a stand for what's right because your children and their children and their children and their children are depending on you to make sure they all see that pal stones. That's how important it is. Would you stand with me?
0: Let's speak to the Lord for a moment. Why don't you thank him for his word? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word that is perfect and complete. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for preachers that still preach truth. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Great and mighty are you, Lord. Great and mighty are you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Man, I was really enjoying that. I don't know about you, but uh, it's funny, preachers, You know, we get an itch about us, especially when we hear certain things. And now I just feel like if I had the voice, I would just preach. And you'd hear two sermons about the same thing. Because I was thinking, while you you said, you know, oh, what did I step in? You know, I think that's a big part of Christianity's problem And I got a sermon cooking in my brain now. It's time to step in it. Um, Because, you know so many of us would not want a confrontation like that we wouldn't want to step in it we wouldn't want to make that person feel bad but you know you need to remember that the bible says the cross is an offense it is a stumbling block i wish i had an amen right now i'm gonna find my voice if you don't shout amen i'm gonna keep you longer amen Amen. Amen. he wants to get out of here hallelujah hallelujah but i did want to Read this because, you know, it opens up opportunity to share the word of God if you offend people. Not if you offend them. If the word of God cuts them to the heart, that's what Acts says. And it says it more than once, to prick them in the heart. That's offense. That is what offense is. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without A preacher. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed, I'll report. And he quoted the verse, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. They will not know unless you open your mouth. Even if you stick your foot in it later on, you cannot imagine how God can take control of our would-be mistakes if we step out in faith. You cannot imagine how his spirit can make things right that we fumble up. So, hey, church, it's time to just step in it, I'd say. Amen. Amen. Get those shoes dirty. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep you here longer. It's time to get those shoes dirty as we spread the gospel. So nice to be with you. Wish I could say more. My voice would give out. Merry Christmas. And God bless you all. You're dismissed in the wonderful name of the Lord.